Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, where we discuss digital transformation and emerging technologies in healthcare. Here, some of the most innovative thinkers and leaders in healthcare and technology talk about how they are driving change in their organizations. Hello and welcome back to my podcast. This is Patty, and it's my great privilege and honor to have as my special guest today, Neil Gomes, Executive Vice President and Chief Digital Officer of Jefferson Health. Neil, welcome to the show. Thanks, Patty. Great to be here, and thank you for having me. You're most welcome. So, Neil, let's get started for the benefit of our listeners. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about the digital group within Jefferson Health. Yeah, so about four and a half years, so almost five years ago, uh, Jefferson invested in this idea that uh, there is tremendous value to be gained at the confluence of digital innovation and consumer experience. And uh, so my group was founded, I helped found it. And what we do is we focus very strongly on the consumer. And sometimes these can be internal, sometimes these can be external consumers, hence the term consumer. And then we, we know that if we do that and we anticipate needs in advance of these consumers, of ours, you know, even experiencing them. And if we provide for them uh, using many times digital innovations, many times design, and if we provide for them in advance, then there's tremendous value to be generated both for the institution as well as our own consumers. So that's the ethos of this group and that's what we've been doing over the last five years here at Jefferson. And I'd love to dig into some examples of some of the successes that you've had. But before that, let me ask you a question. So Jefferson Health is unique in making a commitment to the kind of group that you lead. You know, it's a standalone specialist group. Can you tell us how that came about? And also in the last four, four and a half years, maybe if you could touch on one or two examples of how you've delivered the kind of uh, superior experiences that you just described in your earlier comments. This group came about through a joint vision across Jefferson as well as with our CEO, President and CEO, Dr. Steve Pasco, who has uh, always felt that there's tremendous value to be generated at these at the Conference of Digital Innovation and Consumer Experience. And uh, he's invested in this at other organizations he's been leader at, too. And we've uh, done a lot of work in this space now in the last five years uh, that proves that this is true. You know, we've created applications like MyJeff Health that are focused on the front-end patient experience that have been well-received by our patients. We've created back-end solutions for our processes to enhance our processes so that we can meet these great front-end consumer experiences and deliver them. So we've done things, for example, in our ERs that uh, use data in real time to deliver good decision-making insights to physicians and clinicians in the ER so that they can deliver care really quickly. They can get uh, patients to a physician really, really quickly. They can reduce the total amount of time spent in the ER, reduce the left without being seen rates that sometimes uh, hospitals and ERs see a lot of, and uh, and that way overall create a great experience, not just for the patients who are really important to us, of course, but also for our staff so that they may be able to feel fulfilled in the work that they do too. And similarly, we've done other work, which is in both the academic space as well as the clinical space. In the, in the last five years, we've created several, several such solutions that have changed our institution, as well as now are also starting to change other institutions as people outside of Jefferson also come to us and want us to build these solutions for them. 
So let's talk a little bit about the academic and the health system side of the enterprise, right? Can you touch on maybe what are some overarching common themes when you try to build experiences for the academic side of the enterprises, enterprise versus the healthcare side? What are maybe one or two fundamental differences that you have to take into account? So both these, both the academic and the clinical side, many times in academic medical centers, they come together to form this union of sorts that uh, generates tremendous value just on its own, right? And that's why we have a lot of academic medical centers and we should promote academic medical centers and the research that happens at them because it's all ultimately benefiting all of us, you know, as either students or as patients. So many times when we approach problems that come to us from either the academic side or the, or the clinical side, we see it as a common thing, you know, firstly, as a problem, that we need to solve. And then we try to delve in deeper and find out what exactly is the cause of this problem, uh, what is the outcome that is desired, and ultimately, how do we design a solution that meets this? There are common themes sometimes across both these pillars, as we call them, but there's also quite a lot of difference between the way that we solve problems sometimes. On the academic side, we have a lot of research-related problems that come to us, and many times a lot of efficiency-related problems that come to us that people would like to solve. And there's also an interest many times from the people coming to us with the problems because they are themselves researchers to be very, very involved in the solution. Whereas sometimes on the clinical side, we are seen more as an agency coming in and trying to solve a problem without interfering too much with the day-to-day workings of the clinical organization because that needs to keep on moving, you know. And uh, so we know to how, how to operate in both spaces, and we, uh, we try to be as flexible as possible. And with the academic side, we have created several research applications, like the Decision Counseling Program, for example, for whom we created the DCP tool in close collaboration with their researchers and their research team. And now it's being used by multiple organizations, not just Jefferson. We also took a, a long-standing study that was done by Dr. Hoffman on the scale called the scale of empathy, and we digitized that so that he could then use it at other institutions too. And he was extremely involved in that. That was literally his baby kind of, you know, in the way that he created it. And so that was a different level of engagement. And then sometimes we create, and on the academic side, we create uh, tools like the clinical rotation tool that we created in collaboration, close collaboration with our COO of the academic pillar, Kathy Gallagher. And when we did this work with her, she was very involved with what we did, but we had, uh, this was a brand new application that we were creating. So so we could really think outside the box and uh, build something from scratch that we got very involved in from the design standpoint, all the way to developing the solution, working with administrators to find the right way to express the solution, and then ultimately bringing it out to everybody and getting involved in training and all of that to make sure that it had a life of its own. So very different situation from developing, let's say, the research tools. And then finally, in the clinical space, it can be either of the two. You know, sometimes we are called in for discovery to find out what problems might exist in a particular unit or space and help a lot of the operational teams with discovering that. And then sometimes we may be asked to continue on to build digital solutions wherever we see potential for delivering digital solutions. We don't always assume that a digital solution is going to solve the problem. Sometimes it's a very human thing uh, and uh, because we're operating in a very human environment. 
And sometimes it's just a matter of moving a few things from the human perspective, and you don't need to build any new digital solution. And we are completely open to that. And then sometimes we have to. And when we have to, we try to get as much as we can in terms of detail around the problem, the outcome, and then build a solution and then prove along the way to ourselves as well as to our organization that we are solving the problem with the solution that we've created. And if we're not, then we pivot just like any other agile lean startup kind of group. We pivot and develop something different or stop doing what we were trying to do. So is it fair to say that on the academic side, more often than not, there is some clarity about what is the problem that we're collectively trying to solve? Whereas on the clinical side, more often than not, it's a matter of even going through a discovery to find out you know, what the real problem is before you even try to build a solution around it. Is that a... Yeah, you could say that. It it really depends on the problem that comes to us. But because sometimes in the clinical side, too, there's a very, very discrete problem. Uh, Many of us know those problems. And uh, for many years, no solution has been developed because it's a very complex problem. And so we know what the problem is. But, you know, on the clinical side, many times we we, uh, say the distinction really is where we're many times focusing on operational tasks and trying to resolve those and create a better experience at the end for the consumer or, you know, during the course of the, to all of the consumers in between that are involved in this value chain. And in the case of academic projects, many times it's a completely brand new idea. It's creating a new scale, let's say, or creating uh, some kind of new instrument for clinical research. And it may not, there may not be an operational problem we're trying to solve there. It's just a brand new way of doing things. So it really differs that way, I think, is uh, the better way to put it, probably. And that makes a lot of sense. Uh, You know, obviously, when you work across multiple stakeholder groups, there is a big uh, element of gaining alignment, right? And it's not just among the stakeholders who are consumers of the solution, but also stakeholders who are important for the enablement of the solution at an enterprise level, whether it is IT or whether it is operations or or whatever group it is, what are some of the what have been some of your learnings or what would you suggest as best practices to other organizations that are undertaking their digital journeys and want to make sure that there is a proper alignment across stakeholder groups in order to improve success rates? Uh, yeah, see, I think it's very very important, of course, to work with the entire organization. You cannot leave certain people out if they are part of the solution or sometimes even part of the problem, right? So you have to have them engaged because either you're developing something that may be replacing a piece of work that they have been doing. So they, hence you need to build a vision for what's going to happen after that. Otherwise people might feel threatened. And then also sometimes it's going to just create this, this great new thing that will solve problems for all, a lot of people you know, reduce the total amount of time they spend in doing things that they don't want to do. But even in that scenario where it's so positive that it's going to, everyone's just going to be so happy is what you might think. Uh, many times that may not be the case. You know, it may be that, you know, the this problem, someone may have a better insight about that. They may feel like, oh, this is not really going to be as the single pill that fixes everything that you might think but there's a different perspective to it. There may be a different problem that's causing what you think is a problem. So it's always good to get 
diverse opinions on a lot of these things before we make them. And uh, also definitely involve a lot of the stakeholders that would be affected by that decision or by that solution. So we try and do that as much as possible also because we need help. You know, we can't do these things on our own. We don't assume that we're going to do them on our own. We need the help of all of the stakeholders that are involved in the process for building a, a solution and for whom sometimes we are building a solution. And so we do get everyone together as much as we can. IT, marketing, very, very important functions for any digital enterprise to succeed. And so we do need support from all of these areas as much as possible. And that's what we try and do and engage and involve people from not just IT and marketing, but also from research, from the, from the pillars themselves, depending on where we are working and what problem we're trying to solve. From operational groups, sometimes when we're doing work in the IoT space, uh, we, always, we always connect with our facilities teams. If we're building something for supply chain, then we involve the supply chain teams, of course, to inform us firstly of what problems they'd like to solve and then beyond that as many people from supply chain to figure out how we build a solution and so also for clinical teams and academic teams. So, I mean, you don't want to belabor the process of building a solution by, you know, continuously inviting as many opinions as you can, but you have to build the vision of what's going to happen if you solve that problem. Try and get as many people involved as that could help solve the problem and then move on very quickly to build, as with a lean startup mindset, you know, build, think big, start small, scale fast. And if you have to fail in between, then, then fail early and figure out things as we go along very quickly. That's very helpful. So just switching gears here a little bit, healthcare is in early stages of digital transformation today relative to other sectors like consumer banking, e-commerce, or any of those other sectors. Jefferson Health you know, and your group in particular deal is probably a little bit ahead because you're a separate group and you had an early vision and made significant progress as an independent group. What is your assessment of the current state of digital transformation, especially among health systems? And what do you think are the biggest use cases that people are looking at to launch their digital transformation journeys? Well, so I think that it's never too late to start, okay? And uh, if you've ever gone to HIMSS, which is the largest health IT conference, you'll see there's so many people trying to solve complex problems in this industry. And if anyone thinks that, you know, we are one day just going to rest and say, okay, problem solved, that's never going to happen because we as humans, you know, we'll always figure out another way to fix an existing solution sometimes, you know, to make it better, to make it more efficient. And we should be continuously engaged in that kind of work because, you know, optimization is extremely, extremely important and we owe it to patients and uh, students in our industry. Now, yes, healthcare is, I think, a little behind compared to other industries in terms of uh, digital, but that doesn't mean that we are in a bad place. You know, uh, when you are sometimes behind, you can learn from the mistakes of others. You can take these quantum leaps, as we like to call them, to solve problems because you realize what another industry has learned and you try not to repeat that. You also get new insights from these industries and from what they've learned, you know, not just what they've done and hasn't worked, but also when they've done things that have worked, not just doing the same thing, but trying to fit it into your industry, you realize new things and new ways of doing things that sometimes can even inform other industries. I'll give you an example. You know, we 
started working on this smart rooms concept about uh, three years ago, employing AI and machine learning to create a voice assistant for our hospital rooms that could do the things that we you know, expect from most other voice assistants like Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home and all of that, but go a little bit beyond and start you know, working on the environment or enabling uh, people to interact with the environment of care that they're in. So we build connections into building automation systems that we use into the TVs that are in the room. Some of the things that you can do with some of your you know, voice assistants for the home, but in a clinical environment, these things are a lot more complex, you know, being HIPAA compliant, ensuring that PHI is protected, uh, personal health information is protected for the patient while they're interacting with these uh, devices that we create for them is quite a complex task. It's not easy. So we started building those things and slowly we realized we are really leading in the space as compared to most other industries because in the hotel industry, for example, you would have thought that by now you would have seen these types of devices in every hotel that you went into. Because when you think about the friction when you enter a hotel room that is caused by not knowing what channel corresponds to what number on your TV, where the remote is, where the light switches are, because the fixtures are all different many times in every hotel that you go into. So you're trying to fiddle around and find those. Instead, as you walked into a hotel room, if you could just say to the room, turn the lights on, you know, you could tell them to turn off so you can conserve energy instead of just leaving the room, leaving them on. If you could tell the TV what channel to go to, what, like to watch HBO, you know, just say go to HBO. And it would go there and you're not left, you know, clicking channel after channel to find the right one. And so other industries are ahead of us in some areas, but in some areas that we are doing work in, we're far ahead. Supply chain, we have a lot of innovations that sometimes other industries, I think, could learn from especially in the perishable, non-perishable kind of areas. With IoT, they're starting to do a lot of things that other industries have not even started thinking about many times. So there's lots to be learned, I think, from healthcare, but the vice versa is also very, very true. Now, you know, so obviously a lot of emerging tech uh, is involved when uh, you think about building the kind of experiences that you're describing and taking examples from other sectors, whether it's hospitality or retail or, or anything else. So one of the things I like to do in my podcast is what I call a lightning round. I'm going to mention a few of the emerging tech uh, terms, and uh, we would like to invite your you know, top of the mind sort of comment or response on that. Are we ready to do this? Yeah. Sure. Let's start with this one, artificial intelligence. I think that's uh, one of the most promising things for any industry, as long as we focus not just on artificial intelligence, but machine learning, and as long as we keep machine learning as open as possible, algorithms that we create, because people really need to know, especially in healthcare and education, need to know when the machine is making a decision, what is the source of that logic and how it has built that logic. I think that's important. But otherwise, you know, a phenomenal greenfield kind of area for healthcare. All right. Voice enablement. Yeah, voice enablement and AI are kind of really tied at the hip, I feel, because, you know, voice would not work without uh, all of these deep learning models that we from AI and, and others, other types of models. But I think a voice, is the, and a voice is the best operating system that we have. We all know it. The learning curve is pretty low. And now you can speak, of course, these voice assistants can speak in multiple languages. So it's not like you have to learn a new language either uh, in order to interact. So I think voice is great. Uh, there are limitations, of course. You know, there's not 
as much privacy as uh, many times you might want. Also, sometimes want to do things without creating any noise of any kind in many scenarios. So, you know, voice might not work in those. Otherwise, I think we've not really leveraged voice at all. You know, physicians just talking to a voice assistant, getting information about a patient before they go to see a patient. Our physicians have told us they would love something like that. It reduces friction in so many spaces. I gave you the example of the Smart Rooms project and and the example in a different industry like in hospitality. I think uh, voice is a phenomenal platform for growth and creating a great consumer experience for any industry. Awesome. How about 5G networks? 5G networks, I mean, it's a very technical kind of thing at this point. I mean, we haven't really been able to see the real effect of it because it isn't here yet, except for maybe a few select cities and a few devices, if I'm not mistaken. But any kind of additional bandwidth, any kinds of uh, processing power at local endpoints, you know, it's phenomenal to be able to do, right? And we'll continuously be seeing these types of new technologies come up 6G maybe sometime soon. Uh, but what 5G will really, really enable us to do in healthcare is leverage things like AI, leverage things like augmented reality and virtual reality in ways that make them more portable, that make it more possible to do these things sometimes even without a lot of processing power at the device level, which is where we sometimes hit some roadblocks. So I think that's what 5G would be great for. All right. I have one last one on this lightning round. Sure. This one is a yeah. term that you know, made a lot of waves a year or two ago and then seems to have quietened down a little bit. Blockchain. Uh, yes. I always think of technology as a tool, not as the way to start a conversation. And uh, so when people come to us with, sometimes even with a solution, a discrete technology solution, I always ask the question, what's the problem? <laughs> what problem are we trying to solve? What is the actual problem you are experiencing and for which you're looking for this particular solution? And I think that many of us in our own, and we are to blame to some extent for this, technologists, you know, really sometimes just pick something and run with it without thinking, okay, well, what are the ways that we could use it? And I think blockchain is one of those things. There's lots of potential for blockchain and healthcare, especially at the confluence of many people working together like payers and providers and pharma companies and the patient, of course, all coming together and then being able to track data and who gets used and access to certain types of data. It would be phenomenal for clinical research, but a lot more work needs to get done, I think, more in bringing people together to do work together rather than just trying to throw the technology at the problem and say, okay, well, this technology could solve it all. And I think a lot of people have realized that have invested in this technology at the outset, have realized that first you have to solve the human problem get people to start working together, and then you should apply the technology to it and say, okay, well, this is the technology that can help you do that, can help you track, you know, processing of data, cognizance, all those types of things. And I think a lot of good companies are now starting to do that, create these networks so that we can actually use blockchain and use its benefits in a way that that real problems get solved. And you mentioned uh, that it's all about people and humans. Coming to your own digital innovation group, Tell us about your talent pool. And you, I know you have a you know, specialized unit. What does it take to attract and retain the kind of talent you need to really keep a group like this going? Well, I think the most important thing is the why. You know, why we do what we do. I think that matters. And being able to get that story out to the right kinds of people. It's very, very important that you get the right kinds of people on a team like this. You know, you have very little margin for error. You have to create a fantastic culture around this team 
base it on principles. We have 12 principles that guide our team coming out with a book on that because we feel like we've and able to leverage these principles really well and build a good team that can solve, not the perfect team, but a good team that can really, really address these problems in very creative ways, get people together to solve them together, not just try and build a solution that is uh, devoid of that insight. And then once we build a solution, it has to thrive on its own without us having to be there. So having a team that can also say, okay, well, we built something of tremendous value We have given it a life of its own, and that itself is a hard task to achieve. And then being able to focus on another problem to solve is hard many times because people want to own that solution for its life, and that can get difficult to you know, pull yourself away from. But we've built a team that can do that and that can solve many, many problems. We, we address about 120 different initiatives a year you know, with this team. And we've created a lot of positive energy across the organization. We've attracted other organizations to us with this message of innovation as well as actual solutions that we've created. And I think we've created, a, a, not just within our team, but across the organization, a cohesive mindset that says, okay, we can solve these problems if we work together in healthcare. We can build incentives for people within these value chains that we have so that the consumer at the end, either in healthcare or education, can see this benefit. And is it transforming healthcare in certain ways? Yes. But, you know, it takes time to build these types of solutions and create momentum and get them out to everyone and others even to learn from them. That we've been successful in those areas. So I think the team's doing well. I think we've picked the right kinds of people. The message, and I mentioned earlier, I said the story and the why is really important. That's how we also draw people to us. And unfortunately, in healthcare and learning, we do some really, really good work, right? We help people either build lives of their own with education and good learning, or we help them many times save people's lives, right? When they come to us at the worst times of their lives. So if you want to do something really meaningful with your life, you know, it'd be, if you're a programmer, if you're a designer, or if you're a learning specialist, because those are the primary roles that we recruit into our team, then this is a great place to be. It's a great mission to serve, you know, in that you will be helping other people either get better, you know, through learning or improve their lives or save their lives, you know, through the work of our clinicians and helping them do their work better. Right. And the mission-driven aspect of it is so important. I was talking to a, a student just this over this weekend and he's graduating with a degree in computer science and he wanted to Healthcare and healthcare informatics was a good place to be. And uh, when I talked to him, I realized that the mission-driven aspect of working is something that resonated strongly. So I think we tend to underestimate it or maybe take it for granted. But everyone that I meet in healthcare has some relationship with the missionary aspect of working in healthcare, which I think is fantastic. All right, awesome. I, last question for you, Neil. Your digital innovation group is obviously doing very exciting things. You know, you're kind of out there at the front end of the curve. What is your advice for technology providers, big and small, who want to be a part of this journey with you? Yeah, I would say, one, invest in people. You know, people are what's going to make or break your team and what you do. Pick the right people right at the outset. So form a culture within your group that, you know, is able to promote innovation 
entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship that some people might call it. Also joint decision making around things, but rapid decision making also. And also, I think being able to just bring people together around a vision that you can bring, that you can express to others is important. And then once you do that, once you get the right people together, you have these kinds of principles to guide you, this culture that you create of innovation, then it's a matter of finding the right things to do. And so I think that's very important. You could have a great team, but if you don't select the right things to focus on, you know, you could end up not solving the right problems and therefore not having much momentum. The other thing I would say is there's a kind of equation that we like to think about when we build this group. And, uh, and that was that one, you need good people. Two, you need good partners. So it's not possible to do this on your own. You know, both you need internal partners, as I mentioned earlier, but you also need external partners. You need good firms and startups and, and other such companies working with you that are focused on many times on healthcare. Sometimes you can learn a lot even from folks that are not in healthcare, and sometimes that, that should be a goal. But work with other people is the message. Uh, you know, you can't do this on your own. And then finally, invest in the right types of platforms. I'll just spend a few seconds on this. Platforms are very powerful. You know, they enable you to create new solutions at much faster pace, right? Because you're not reinventing the wheel each time. You don't need multiple skill sets to solve multiple problems. You know, you can use a single really powerful platform if you invest in one that enables you to do solve maybe 50 problems and ultimately you're licensing one platform, so you're paying for all of those solutions except for the cost of building them, of course, and maintaining them. But otherwise, you might have licensed 50 endpoint solutions, you know, to solve 50 of those problems, you know, which, which can get really costly. Because we are in an industry that cannot invest as many other industries do sometimes in innovation at the same scale. You know, so we've got to build things very frugally. We've got to find ways to solve problems very creatively and very quickly, but also many times at a lower cost to our organizations. So I think it's very important to invest in platforms in order to be able to do that. Thank you. Thanks very much, Neil. That was really interesting. And thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and for sharing some of your experiences. And all the best to the Digital Innovation Group at Jefferson Health. Thank you once again for joining. Thanks, Ben. I really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Subscribe to our podcast series at www.thebigunlock.com and write to us at info at thebigunlock.com. <laughs>